Um, So the reading is from um, Luke 18, verses 9 to 14, and that's page 1052 in the Pew Bibles. For some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Welcome. My name is Nathan. Good to see everyone here today. Good if you're watching online as well. Uh, lovely to have you with us. We're going to be thinking then about this, this question, big question today. What hope is there for our fractured world? What hope is there for our fractured world? It's a big question, isn't it? I don't know how uh, you compared to some of the people in that video, whether you're like that last guy, uh, fairly pessimistic, end of things, or more optimistic. Uh, but the, the opinions of a few people near Angel Station is hardly sort of comprehensive research uh, as we went out with the video camera. Uh, but actually the BBC, just uh, a few years ago, 2018, along with Ipsos Mori, uh, took a survey that was called A World Divided of 27 countries were surveyed, and, and the, really, the big headline, if, you can, if you've got very good eyesight and can see that, is that 76% of people surveyed in these 27 different countries said that they thought that their society was divided. Three or four people thought that the country, the society they lived in, was fractured, was divided. Uh, if you can make up the UK on there, even higher, 85%. Um, Serbia, most divided. Saudi Arabia, is it? Least divided. Make of that what, what you will later, I don't know. Uh, but actually, that, that's a few years ago, 2018. I wonder if that number might have gone up in the last few years. COVID and all that's come with that. The divisions over vaccines or no vaccines, or masks or no masks, or lockdowns or no lockdowns. Just imagine COVID. What about division over climate change, or IndyRef2, or HS2, or whatever else you might add onto the list. Jeremy, uh, unknown to me, has already mentioned Joe Biden, but he gets his second mention here in the day. There's no surprise that Joe Biden, in his inauguration speech, said that his intention, his main intention, was to bridge the deep and bitter divisions in American society. Or he say something similar about the UK. Just um, log on to Twitter, if you have an account, and I don't know if you do this sometimes, just read the comments below any story, whether it's, a, whether it's a jokey story or a serious one, and the comments, they reek of anger, division. That's maybe the, the big picture, if you like. What about at a more personal level? Well, there's division and fractures sometimes there. Maybe a relationship that that we've had that's just gone sour. What about arguments with a neighbour? 
falling out with colleagues. If, if we're honest, sometimes things can seem just pretty bleak, can't they? And that's why Euro 2020 gave such a lift, didn't it? Whether you like football or not, Euro 2020 that obviously happened in 2021 that everyone's a bit confused by, that, that gave everyone a lift. And much pressure was on the England players. Some of the headlines, the, the hopes of the nation are on the shoulders of these 11 players. You know, no pressure. Um, but it gave us a lift until, that is the painful penalty shootout. I'm not going to go into any detail about that again. And of course, there were horrific racist abuse afterwards of a few of those England players. And it felt like we were sort of back to square one. What hope is there for our fractured world? And as we engage with this big question this afternoon, maybe for some watching or for some here, it strikes you a bit rich that the church or Christians would try and give an answer to this question. Hasn't the church kind of led to division and pain in society and hurt? People might point to the, the Crusades in the Middle Ages, or evil done in the name of religion, or maybe you've known a Christian person who's done you wrong in one way or another. Well, I'd love to just for the next 20 minutes spend some time just looking at the central figure of Christianity. So there's a group of, of Christians who gather together at Trinity Church Islington. We believe that actually in him, in Jesus Christ, this man, there is hope for society. Actually, that he's only, our only hope for this fractured world that we live in. And so we're going to read the, look at the story that Bimba read out a few moments ago. It's from Luke's Gospel, one of the accounts, eyewitness accounts in the New Testament. And it's a story in which Jesus both diagnoses the problem, but also gives the medicine that we need and that actually our world needs as well. Two big things then uh, we're going to see today. It should be on uh, your handout as well if you've got that in front of you. The first thing then is the problem that lies within. The issue then in this story, if you've lost it, is on 10, uh, page 1052. And the issue that Jesus puts his finger on is this, that we love to look down on others to make ourselves feel good. As humanity, we, we, we generally love to look down on other people to just kind of make ourselves feel a bit better about how we're doing. Biblically, this is called self-righteousness. Sometimes it's called sin. And that's what Jesus is addressing. Did you see that in verse 9? He said the story is to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. And so we're introduced in the story to two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee, uh, they were the model citizens at the time. They were religious. Uh, they saw themselves as the good guys, the law keepers. And if a Pharisee had a social media um, sort of profile picture, it probably would have been of them, them praying, but with one eye open, just to make sure people really just kind of saw them uh, mid-action, mid-prayer. But then tax collectors, well, no one likes them. They, I mean, no one likes paying tax, I don't think, today. Social care tax, that's been in the news, hasn't it, this week. 
But actually, these guys, it was different. They were, they were Jewish, but they were traitors against their fellow Jews. They were working for the occupying Roman force, and they were taking money against their own people and, and skimming a little bit extra off for themselves. We saw in that video, didn't we, that the problem of greed, people sort of addressing that. These guys were greedy, okay? They were the scum of society. And if they had a social media sort of profile picture, it would be... Well, you wouldn't know what it meant. You wouldn't be friends with them. <laughs> these were tax collectors. And Jesus tells a story about these two men going up to the temple to pray. What are we told about the first guy, the tax collector? We'll look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Did you notice his focus? I. Four times, just in those couple of sentences. I, 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 I. It's all about himself, his prayer. And it's all about comparison. Sort of key word, really. It's all about comparison. If we were to translate the prayer for 2021, it might be something along these lines. God, I thank you that I am not like Harvey Weinstein. God, I thank you that I'm not like those greedy politicians. God, I thank you that I'm not like those Twitter trolls who are racist. God, I thank you that I'm not a climate change denier. Amen. On with the rest of my day. The key is comparison. Because we love a sort of us versus them, a, a good guys versus the bad guys, don't we? And he sees himself as very much one of the good guys. This us versus them mentality in society, in its most extreme ways, has led to one race claiming superiority over another race. And we've seen what's happened in history when that's happened on an everyday level. Twitter, you can see examples of moral superiority, division, fracture that is caused from, I'm one of the good guys and I'm gonna hurl a, a grenade over there and kind of stay in my bunker and, and you should see this division and fracture. And sometimes Christians have acted like this as well. Sometimes it's called a kind of holier than thou uh, kind of uh, thing and seen it. Sometimes Christians seeming to, to just suggest that they're just a bit better than everyone else. They're, they're superior and sort of look down their nose at everyone else. That is not what Christianity is about. I'm sorry if you've experienced that. Yet to be honest, I spot this, this self-righteousness, not just on the Twitter feed, but, but actually in my own heart as well. Think of um, some of the lockdowns with COVID and just an example, going, you know, when you had to wear the mask all the time everywhere and uh, going to a shop. And I've got my nice new freshly washed mask that uh, goes on. And you see someone else in the shop who's getting a little bit too close to you for comfort and they're not wearing a mask and they haven't got a mask exempt badge on. There's a little bit of me that goes, well, I'm doing my best. Come on. What? You know, what's your ex Maybe it's another thing, groups of six. Do you remember when we had to do that? And, you know, you're in your lovely little group of six that you've organised seven months in advance and you're all there having a lovely picnic. And then someone's, someone's in a group of seven. 
or a group of ten. There's a bit of you that just, come on. I mean, you don't say anything. You're British. Come on, if you're British, you wouldn't say anything. But there's a bit of you that just looks down. We want to make ourselves feel good. Us versus them. Good guys versus the bad guys. You can see it sometimes with the environment as well. A number of people in the video mentioned kind of the importance of looking after the world. It's a good thing. But sometimes it comes out with that. Maybe, maybe we get our tote bag. Okay, we wear our tote bag and we have our electric car and we get our reusable cup for our coffee. But then we see someone who's just kind of in Sainsbury's with the plastic bags, kind of shedding them out and paying for them each time and, and topping up their oil-guzzling diesel at the station and, and, and they're just chucking in a polystyrene cup in the bin and, and we think, well, I'm, I'm doing my bit. I'm a good person. There. We love an us versus them. Even though we're quite inconsistent with that, right? Sometimes maybe we look down at someone getting a plastic bag, but when we forget our nice tote bag, well, oh, we were just in a hurry. Well, whoops, oh, I'll buy one this time. We love to judge people around us much more harshly than we dare judge ourselves. We love to look down on others, make ourselves feel good by doing that. We like to feel morally superior. But actually this self-righteousness goes deeper. Jesus would say that it's not just that kind of attitude towards others, but actually it's before God, more importantly. It's as if we can fall into the habit of, of kind of saying, Look, I'm doing so well, I'm doing so well, I surely deserve your blessing, God. You, you kind of owe me for the way that I'm living. Yeah, Jesus' story forces a more honest assessment that actually we're not all that great. For all the good things that we do do, there's a fair bit of self-righteousness, sin. We have a problem. On our own, we can't be good enough. We can't be righteous enough for God. And actually, more seriously, our self-righteousness and our sin, it offends God. It's easy to feel good compared to others. There's always someone worse than us that we can compare ourselves and find, I'm sure. But when others are taken out of the picture and it's just us before a perfect God, it humbles us, isn't it? That's something that G.K. Chesterton realises, a, a picture of him coming up. It's about 100 years ago. He was a sort of academic, uh, G.K. Chesterton. And um, the, the London Times put a... Uh, a question out in their newspaper, quite a contemporary question. That's interesting. They said, what is wrong with the world? Okay, that was their question. What is wrong with the world? Uh, letters on a postcard, you read that. G.K. Chesterton famously wrote back and said, dear sir, I am yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. And it got published. Do you realise that I could have said, oh, that's the problem, that's a big tech. I mean, obviously that wasn't around in G.K. Chesterton's time, but they're the problem, these are... No, I, I am. Last few years, you might have seen quite a lot of books or articles and things coming out. Just kind of asking this question or trying to get to think about the question. Are human beings, are we good? Are we good people? One such book that I dived into um, fairly recently called Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rudger Bregman. 
And quite early on in that, he says, yeah, most people, deep down, are pretty decent. That would be a common view. But actually, uh, a guy called John Gray, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's an atheist, not a Christian man. He said, when it comes to that question, are we good? Deep down, are human beings good? He said, you've got two kind of ways you can take that. You can take the Christian view that says, actually, humans are, are broken, we're fallen. Or you can take the, the secular view of progress, that actually, morally, we're getting better. Things are good, we're doing well. And John Gray, remember he's not a Christian, he's, he's an atheist man. Which way would you go, he was asked. And he said, well, I'd have to go the Christian way. There's more evidence for it. Yeah, we might be getting better technologically, scientifically, we were advancing, but, but morally? More evidence, he would say. It doesn't mean we're all as bad as we possibly could be. But the sickness is in us all. There's a serious problem that lies within, and our self-righteousness and our pride offends God. And it needs the judgment, the Bible says. I wonder if you're listening in it. That's something that you've ever thought about before? Ever acknowledged or thought about? It's easy to write. Isn't it? Oh, I'm not as bad as them, or I'm not as bad as him or her. The Pharisee does that. But then just pause and thought. Well, I said that this series um, is called Hope. You might be thinking, it doesn't sound like it so much. This is uh, not the most hopeful talk I've ever heard. Well, the good news is that the story continues and we get a good dose of, of what hope, genuine hope, looks like. The kind of hope that I need and that this world, I suggest, needs as well. And that's the second thing. So the first big thing we saw, the problem that lies within second the solution that lies in him. Slightly, slightly cheesy, but hopefully you remember it. Are those things going together? The solution that lies in Jesus. Two characters there. The Pharisee we've seen. The tax collector. Remember the gutter of society he was seen as? What are we showing about him in verse 13, if you look down? We're told the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Notice his posture, beating his chest. He's at a distance as well. And he just says seven simple words. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's very simple. There's no bragging about his spiritual CV. Look, God, what I've done. There's no comparison. Look at me compared to, to that person. Now he recognises his brokenness before God. He gets real with God, doesn't he? Real that he needs mercy. And so one of these men, he is, he is loved, he is respected by society. The other guy, no one has any time for him. Yet yeah, what is... What is Jesus' verdict? Well, look down at verse 14. It's the punchline. As Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, that is shocking. <laughs> we might be thinking, yeah, I kind of know the story, but we read it out. And no, this is, this is really shocking. The hearers, when Jesus was telling the story, were going, no, 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 no. 
They wouldn't like this. Yet it was this man, the tax collector, who went home, we're told justified. That means vindicated or legal language exonerated, you could say. He was found right in the eyes of God. And so if our self-righteousness, if our sin deserves judgment, well, we need mercy. This guy realized it. He needed mercy. Probably before the pandemic, so it was slightly blurred, but I think it was 2017-18 that um, the BBC had a, a programme called Noughts and Crosses. I don't know if you, any of you saw that. Um, it was uh, an adaptation of a, of a novel, and it envisaged Britain, that it was called Albion, but Britain, um, as an inverse apartheid South Africa, where the colonising black elites oppressed the native white um, population. And the story focused on the McGregor family. Uh, they were a white family, and Jude was one of the sons, Jude McGregor. And he joined a sort of, um, uh, sort of terrorist group that planted bombs. And he planted a bomb, and it, it went off, and it killed three people. And, well, of course, he's guilty. And he deserves the death penalty. That was the system in place. He knew he had done wrong. Yet he finds himself released from prison. Much to his astonishment, but he's released, not guilty. He, he goes free, and he can't understand why. How? Well, a few scenes later, we see his dad, Ryan McGregor. And his dad, without his son knowing, stepped in and confessed the crime that his son had done. And although his dad was spared the death penalty, he was later killed, just moments later, in prison. It was amazing, amazing, costly sacrifice so that his son could walk free and be justified and, and could be vindicated. And actually, it's only a few chapters later in Luke's Gospel that we see something similar but much greater happen through the death of Jesus Christ. See, this innocent storyteller in Chapter 18, just a few chapters later, hangs on a, a plank of wood on a cross to die, to pay for our self-righteousness, for all our sin. And so what happens is that, that Jesus Christ himself, he receives judgment and we receive mercy. Like Jude McGregor, we go free. We're forgiven. We're justified, you could say. It's a wonderful news, really, at the, the centre, a hope that's at the centre of the Christian faith. But it does require humility. Humility for, for mankind, but also personally. Not boasting about how great we are, but, but actually asking God for mercy. So the message of a self-help book, I realise that. <laughs> you won't find many books in Waterstones that, that would speak about it. But actually, I found it, and I know others here, I found it hugely liberating to do that. I think, because I've got two kids, I can just about get away with a dad reference to Coldplay. Um, Jeremy would be doing it on a regular basis, but I tend not to go there normally. But Coldplay, a few years ago, there's some clocks, quite a few years ago, actually. There's some clocks. Remember one of the lines about humanity? Ask the question there. Are we part of the disease 
or part of the cure? Just like a simple question in, a, in the middle of a song. Are we part of the, the cure of humanity, or are we actually part of the disease? And actually this would say that we are flawed. There is a problem that lies within, but, but, the solution lies in the powerful death of this perfect man 2,000 years ago. He was never self-righteous. He never sins. And whose death cleanses us from all unrighteousness, all sin. And actually Trinity is, is full of just ordinary people, really ordinary people, who have, who have asked for mercy and received more than they could ever believe. Vindication. Being justified before the living God. The problem lies within. The solution lies in him. But just as we draw to a close, it is a hope that transforms us. You, you might be thinking, okay, this is good news personally, I sort of get that, or I can see how it might, people might see that as being good news on a personal level. How is that good for the world? How is this healing for humanity? Well, the New Testament, that sort of part of the Bible where Luke's gospel is, shows that the mercy that Christians have, have received in Jesus transforms them. They have now have the resources to, to bridge divisions, to, to heal fractures in relationships. See, with God's help, knowing that we have been forgiven helps us then to go, okay, I can forgive others. Or knowing that we have been loved by God means that we can love people who we oppose or even are our enemies. There's a famous photo of um, uh, a lady. Well, it was a, actually a, a girl. You probably, I'm not going to show it. It's, it's a really sort of horrendous photo of a nine-year-old girl uh, in, in Vietnam. And she's uh, probably one of the most famous photos of the 20th century. And she's, she's running away as uh, napalm bombs come down. She's got third degree burns on her skin. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a very famous photo. Well, she survived and she grew up and her name is um, Fan Thi Kim Phuc. And she was, she was so bitter, so bitter towards those who hurt her. And you can, you can understand why <laughs> that happened when you're nine years old. But later she became a Christian and she was able to forgive those bombers. Why? You might ask. Well, she had received forgiveness herself through Jesus. And she had found mercy through him. And therefore she was able to extend it to even her bombers who had done this. She wasn't saying that it's okay or that what happened was light. No, she's not saying that. But she was able to say this, let me read. She said, I had to deal with the pain every day. It built me up with pain, this pain with bitterness and anger. I was living with the question, why me? Eventually I became a Christian. And since then I've, I've found faith in Jesus and my enemies list has become my prayer list. I realized that forgiveness set my heart free. I forgive everyone, she says, who has caused me suffering. That is astonishing, isn't it? The resources found in Jesus are the only thing that enables someone to do that. Isn't that the kind of hope our world needs? Our, 
our society, our fractured world needs. See, she recognized her need for mercy, meant that she no longer needed to look down on these people who had done that, or, or to even hate them. But she was able to respond in mercy because she herself had received a greater mercy. What else could explain that kind of transformation? I want to suggest that's the kind of change, the kind of hope that actually our world needs. Thanks for listening today. If you do have questions, as Jeremy said, do, do grab me, come and chat, uh, or email me if you've got any questions. And there's this Life Explore course where well, it's a chance just to think about some of these things more at a deeper level. It's not a massive commitment, a few Sunday mornings on Zoom. And you can think about these bigger things, meaning, forgiveness, identity, these bigger questions. Jeremy will say more about that later. But I'll leave this just in a prayer before he comes back up. Father, I thank you for the way that you give us these stories in the Bible. Thank you for the story of, of this Pharisee and this tax collector. Lord, maybe it, it feels a bit alien to us, uh, living in a different time and a different society, but Lord, we, in a more honest moment, can see a little bit of this Pharisee in us. Thank you that Jesus exposes that, but also gives a hope for those who call out for mercy. Thank you for the cross, that that is the place where there's mercy takes place and is given to us, that Jesus takes that judgment so that we could receive mercy and forgiveness. Lord, I pray that that truth would be very real wherever we're coming from today and that we would want to be thinking about these things more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.